Greetings and welcome to Liminal Light, a show that explores the languages of myth and lore, sky and star, earth and embodiment through astrology, art, and spirit engagement. I'm your host, Chris. Enjoy. Okay, we are here to talk about Jupiter and Zeus today, and um, I have Bonnie with me. Hello, Bonnie. Hi, Chrissy. And we also have June Rose and Gray Crawford, astrologers from Olympia, Washington. Hey, how you doing? Hi. Yeah, we're all excited to be here talking with you about Zeus and Jupiter. Yeah, (laughs) yeah, and it's um, we made it for Jupiter's night, so we're yeah. Hopefully this will work out this time. We tried to do this last week, but uh, we got Mercury retrograded, which I don't normally get as as Mercury retrograded as that. But before recording, we were talking about um, Mercury going retrograde and in Sagittarius and and how that was like, oh, well, it might not be that bad, but it ended up being uh, pretty messy, like the dealing with like maybe from um, Mercury and Jupiter being on opposite rulerships, you know, and, and how much that fouled up Mercury's behavior, especially when it, for me, at least when it made it into Scorpio and you get, um, Mars and Pisces ruling over Scorpio and it got, uh, excessively murky. <laughs> yeah. A lot of people felt that way, I think. Yeah. <laughs> but we made it. And, um, <clears throat> so do you want to introduce yourself, um, to everyone and, let everyone know a little bit about your practice. Sure. Well, my name is Gray Crawford, like you mentioned, and my site, if people want to check it out, is graycrawford.net, and that's spelled as in the Scottish Gray, which is G-R-A-Y Crawford, just all on a road, .net. And if you, I, uh, as far as astrology goes, um, I do consultations and all that, and then I generally write about the new moon and full moon to keep up a steady just pace of posting something. But then I'll generally also post about something else like a Mercury retrograde or Jupiter going into Sagittarius or um, whatever else. And um, like you mentioned, live in Olympia. I'm a a full-time social worker here um, as far as my day job goes. Yeah, I'm June or June Rose and my website is juneroseastrology.com and yeah I'm an astrologer and I sort of incorporate a lot of different things um, traditional and modern astrology and I'm also a person who works with spirit and a lot of my work uh, is about that and it's about healing, uh, through working with spirit and, um, a lot of changes for me recently. And my site is sort of all, um, out of date right now, but there's some stuff, some info on there. Um, but I've been really changing my, (laughs) it is this sort of Mercury retrograde thing along with the Venus retrograde, really just changing, um, or I guess getting deeper with with what this all means to me. So there'll definitely be um, new stuff on the site eventually, but 
Yeah. And, and you're um, on the radio as well, right? And you can hear that on your website? Yeah. So that's one of the things that has been changing. I haven't done my radio show in, gosh, almost three months now. It's the first time I've ever taken a break from it after three years of doing it every week. Um, but I think I'm really almost ready to get back into it now. You know, it's like all of these changes in my personal life that I had to really stop and evaluate what I was doing and make sure that, you know, what I'm doing is really consistent with, with something, you know, true and real. And so I'm in the middle of this process, but, um, feeling positive about how I'll come out of it. Yeah. I can definitely relate with that. Like on multiple levels, like, uh, well, Mercury was in the shadow of retrograde and then went retrograde. It was really hard to do episodes of this show, like just getting people scheduled or getting the material together or whatever. There was um, a lot of obstacles and, and technical difficulties. And, um, and that was kind of the technical part of it, but also with um, Jupiter into Sagittarius and then Mercury going retrograde starting in Sagittarius, it uh, really felt like like, oh, it was really ready to be like, oh, this is going to be really amazing and positive, like Jupiter and Sagittarius, like it's, it's just going to like be great, you know, but it kind of was a bit problematic. And I've heard this from other people that they kind of were like, oh, I have dreams and fantasies. So that causes kind of a big issue, you know, mm-hmm. like, like what, like what, you know, what do I really dream of accomplishing? And, and then you're like having to incorporate that into your life is is actually kind of a little disruptive you know yes even though it's ultimately positive yeah and and one thing we can probably talk about is just like the sonotic cycle of jupiter and how the entire time so far you know jupiter when it entered sagittarius it was very close to the sun so at the end of its cycle um and so it hasn't really been visible this whole time and it's then it you know I think it was around the 25th or so of November, it united with the sun, but we it's still not totally visible. But later this week, well, when we're doing this recording, so I think it's like around December 14th or so. I'm not sure what day exactly, but around that time, it gets out to that 15-degree mark away from the sun. So um, it'll be interesting to me, too, in addition to the whole Mercury retrograde and squaring Neptune and all that stuff, that it's also just not been visible, which often can be like kind of hidden things or like these dreams or visions like you're talking about, but they're not able to totally be manifested yet or seen yet. And so once we can actually see Jupiter and it has some light and all that, um, it'll be interesting to see what, what shifts with all of that, I think. Yeah, totally. Yeah. We already made, um, a Jupiter talisman, like right when Jupiter came in, cause the, um, it was like just a new moon and then the moon immediately came in and, um, and conjoined Jupiter right when he came into Sagittarius and it was on a Thursday. And I think we even got the hour just barely. It was like Mm -hmm. one of those ones where we like had to hit it really fast, you know, Mm -hmm. like, um, but we just took them out for a spin yesterday for the first time. And, um, but we have another election coming up, uh, on the 20th that we were going to try out. And then it'll be interesting to, uh, test the two talismans and be like, 
how much Jupiter do you get or do you get it physically with this one or just it seems like the one that we got was good for mood and like like feeling optimistic Gener- and generous <laughs> yeah and feeling generous generosity yeah. to it which and, is good an inspiration, but mm-hmm. no one came up to us and like offered us a job while we, had, while we had, like, walked around <laughs> yeah. with them or whatever. But we you know? weren't like we were just like screwing around in town and like shopping. Like it wasn't like yeah. anything. We didn't put ourselves like in that yeah position yeah. necessarily. But we're gonna take them to a party later more, tonight. Yeah, so we'll see if yeah. like we get some. Well, I think some we goods. should take all of the talismans. All of them. Yeah, yeah we're gonna we load up. Tonight. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> like every planet. <laughs> wow, that's exciting. Well, I would like to hear about what you find if you find a significant difference between the two. Yeah. Yeah, totally. It's gonna be a cool experiment, you know, having Jupiter in Sagittarius for so long. I'm just gonna try to make as many as I can, you know, like and 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 then be like some of them might have to be destroyed later, like there's too much weird side effects, but it'll be interesting to see the difference between between them all instead of just having like one you know, and they can all for be be for slightly different purposes too, you know. Um, but this one feels good for inspiration so far. And like, along with what you're saying, how that like kind of, um, the sun hadn't moved into Sagittarius yet. So even though it was probably, it was still under the beams, they were in two different signs. So Mm -hmm. that's an interesting thing. You know, it seems like I always think about that, like when reading natal charts too, and you're like, Oh, is this, is this planet combust or under the beams? Like when they're, when it's right on the border of like a sign sign border as much as if it were in the same sign. And it seems like it's, it's as a different character, you know? Mm-hmm. That's interesting. I think, yeah, I do think there's that. Um, I, I do like to think of it as, you know, when the planet's under the beams, maybe it's spiritual significance might be stronger or there's more of an internal process that happens versus when it's visible, it's more in this world or yeah, you have a material way. Yeah. Um, okay. Well, before we get too sidetracked, uh, we're talking about Zeus and Jupiter today. And, um, and the reason I wanted to talk about this is because we started thinking we were doing the, um, an herbal forecast that we do every month and we were ta- like looking at the herbs of Jupiter and started to see a lot of um, strange things coming up with like almost every herb of Jupiter had something kind of deleterious like <clears throat> in the in the herbs like history you know like how things that happened around it or in its trade or how people were sourcing it or nutmeg. yeah nutmeg was the yeah. big one you know nutmeg like you know it's the spice islands it's the bandas chain um, in, um, in in Indonesia right and the <clears throat> And, the, you know, it's like the Dutch India, East India Company and the, the English, like, India Company, um, you know, it was just like there was a genocide on those islands in the sake for, of nutmeg. And then it made, they traded New York for it, like New Amsterdam became New York over nutmeg. It was like a nutmeg deal for those islands. And then, and then um, in Connecticut, um, people were making, like, at the time, like, fake nutmegs out of wood they would just whittle a nutmeg and sell it as nutmeg and um, so soon as a nutmeg state yeah so yeah uh, C- connecticut um people from connecticut became known as nutmeggers and it was like synonymous with like you're ripping me off you know <laughs> like you're trying to pull one over on me and all the herbs that we looked at had that was the most extreme one but had something weird and then i started to think about um jupiter 
and Zeus and how Zeus is is also kind of like a sketch, definitely a sketchy character, you know, and hard to pin down mm-hmm. and um, very misbehaved. <laughs> and and um, and also the fires in California had happened right then. It was right around the time that Jupiter went into Sagittarius and Uranus went back into Aries. And I just couldn't help thinking about that, like, fiery expansion that, um, like, if if Jupiter is kind of almost, like, has good intentions, but, you know, will kind of back up whatever project, like, falls into his lap, like, it'd be like, oh, yeah, I can be really optimistic about this fire, like, let's spread it like crazy, you know, or or if that's just not in Jupiter's nature at all. So I don't have any set opinions, just wanted to start, like, poking around at this stuff. Yeah, I think it's it's definitely true um, what you're saying. And one thing when you were just talking about that with, um, imp- I mean, just the whole idea of imperialism and empires um, and then the people that are oppressed, um, you, you know, going back to like, the re- like Hellenistic astrology, you know, obviously took place during like the Roman Empire was when Hellenistic astrology was really flourishing, which obviously has a lot of problematic, I mean, how the people in the Roman Empire practicing astrology and, and what they were seeing and how that was affecting things they were doing, but then what are the repercussions on other people? Um, and it, may, it was making me think of how the, the hermetic lot of Jupiter is the lot of victory. And... Um, it's sort of like it was just making me like there's a there's some somebody somebody can be a I mean it's just possible to, I guess to maybe have a victory that somehow is more holistically good but when there when there is a victor somebody's a loser and uh, because like you're saying Jupiter does go with expansion and um, Zeus the figure in, in mythology definitely was you know, always crossing over boundaries and just always creating, you know, new, new children and fertility and new, these, and, and these bringing in these, you know, siring these new figures that like totally change the arcs of the, all these different mythic narratives in the, in the process. Um, so yeah, there's definitely something about that where, um, it's, it's, it, I think it is good to question Jupiter, um, and it's interesting that we have Saturn and Capricorn at the same time. So it's like Saturn in this really strong sign of setting limits and having boundaries and being aware of the consequences of your actions in the world. Um, and and obviously, when, if that goes too far, you can be though too like negating and too self-limiting and just like I'm not even going to do anything. What? Because you know what's going to happen if I try and do this and make myself look better or do more in the world. How's that going to impact other people? And you can kind of go too far with that um, also. But but Jupiter is definitely the side where you can go too far and just expanding yourself and taking on more in a way that you might be impacting other people, I think. It's always a good thing to be aware of. And I think the one of the ways I like to think about it, too, is that, um, I mean, any planet can be excessive, and it's... I think the way that the uh, domicile rulers are set up um, as opposites really shows how you can find like the checks and balances on a planet. And so with Mercury being, you know, the planet that's naturally opposed Jupiter, 
I mean, it's it's exactly what you said. We need to question Jupiter. It's literally um, the discerning function of Mercury that um, allows us to to contest uh, contest Jupiter's affirmations, um, and also just to pick things apart and see things and see uh, more of the intricacies of of systems and the way individuals are affected or the small parts are are affected. Um, so I do think there's this interesting thing, right? Because we we do have Mercury in Sagittarius. Well, we've just had it recently and we'll have it again very soon. Um, and I really did find this major theme of contesting my beliefs with Mercury in Sagittarius. And and so just to name that as as part of Jupiter is um, Part of Jupiter is, you know, the opposition to Mercury and the opposition to the ability to contest and, and pull apart. Yeah, that's really interesting. Yeah, that's like um, I was thinking while you're talking, it's kind of like Mercury's ability to sort, you know, like it's like and Jupiter's like, uh, what do you think? And he's like, yes, of course, you know, I'm Jupiter, like, yes, do it. And uh, <laughs> Mercury's like, we'll do this, but not that, you know, like. Um, just like kind of being like, we'll put this in the yes pile and we'll put this in the like, maybe, or, or even no, you know, like that he's not necessarily negating by nature, but can like sort it out, you know, mm-hmm. but that like opposites of a Mercury and Jupiter was something that kept coming back to over and over again. When I started looking at, um, at like, well, who is Zeus and how it really opened my mind up to thinking about how, um, in Jupiter, you can, through Zeus, at least through mythology, you can see so much Mercury in in Zeus as well. And then through that, you can kind of like expand that into like seeing it in Jupiter. And it made me think a lot about just um, the spectrum of Mercury and Jupiter rather than as separate bodies of just that axis, like between Sagittarius and Gemini and between Pisces and Virgo. Um, and it seems like more than the other axes, there is almost like a blend in the, in the Jupiter Mercury axis. There's like like almost so much overlap, or it could be the same thing just stated slightly different. Like they're both. It's almost like paradoxical. Um, and like you know, as as Mars, the Mars and Venus axes are almost the, seem the most polarized. Like like Yin and Yang, um, they seem like very opposite and the sun and sun Saturn or, or moon Saturn seem like they're just kind of like um, two versions of the same thing that are harder or, or like more like, you know, it's like authority, maturity, perceiving reality. Um, and so it's kind of like that access seems almost about like subjective and objective, you know, um, whereas, you know, cause like Saturn's like, no, this is the real thing rather than just the way you feel about it or the way you see it, you know? Um, but the Mercury-Jupiter axis, you know, being about perspective and scope, um, where Mercury is more like, is neutral and variable, and Jupiter is wide and, encom- and broadly encompassing, but that both sort of means that they can be anything, mm-hmm. or that they, like, anything can happen in both of those spheres. Like, Jupiter's like, yes, I can be this and that, like, why not? I can do it at the same time, and it'll it'll get me to my ultimate purpose anyway. Great, it's even better. And Mercury's like, oh, I can easily switch between this role and that role. So I started to like think about all over the place how they almost can really seem like each other in really strange ways. Um, 
but yeah, so I totally hear, I'm totally with you on, on looking at the axis of, of the like domicile rulers as a way to kind of, um, analyze, you know, the, as a way to Mercury, Jupiter, you know? Yeah, I definitely agree. I mean, I am, I think part of that might be the mutability because the thing the Jupiter-Mercury axis distinct is that it's both of the axes are mutable. So it's maybe that why, is why there's so much um, uh, overlap and changing going on between the, the two archetypes. It's funny that in mythology, though, you don't really well, you don't really see that because you kind of just have Hermes as being sort of they, they are the, the I was just the thinking messenger. that because they're they're both shapeshifters in mythology. Oh, I mean, I mean, like you don't the, get the um, opposition as much in the mythology because uh, you don't have Hermes like questioning Zeus. I don't think. Yeah, um, I see what you mean. Yeah, yeah. Hermes' role isn't to just be like sort out Zeus's bullshit, you know, like. <laughs> But but Zeus himself, like you know, there's um, Zeus Chthonios, and then there's like like the the un, all these different versions of Zeus, like um, you know, in different roles, and um, but especially like as Zeus Chthonios and as Zeus, like Zeus, uh, you know, they speak of like like Hades and and um, and Poseidon all being just versions of Zeus that are like Zeus in the underworld, mm-hmm. Zeus in the um, Zeus in the ocean, the oceanic world, Zeus in like the celestial world. And that triple rulership is very mercurial, you know, and that's we're either mercurial or often um that um how do you how do you word that? That kind of like universalism is often given to like say like Hecate or you know, it's often related to like goddesses, the ability to be like thrice or three ways. Mm. So it's like heaven the earth and the underworld or, or like the ter- terrestrial world, the oceanic world and, and the, un- the other world, you know, um, is usually lend lended to psychopomps such as Mercury, but Zeus definitely gets that status and becomes kind of like a messenger of, of everything, like being the messenger of the world itself. Like in the, I looked a lot at the Orphic theogony and the, you know, the creation myth of Orphism and, you know, when like Fanes was, first born from the silver egg in the very beginning, uh, formed by necessity from like a primordial mixture of earth and water. And he has like four eyes so he can look everywhere. Basically means he's like omniscient and, um, he provides light for everything. And so it's how you see and how you know. And, um, one of his titles was the all seeing Zeus, which is like that kind of that I, the, the, the most like, all like um, consistent the thing that I was seeing with how Zeus lines up to Jupiter is his like all encompassing nature. Like he can be anything or he is everything. Cause after Fane is like, is the egg for reality um, through, you know, all this stuff happens. It's like Zeus is, you know, hidden in um, Nix's cave and cared for by a, a, um, a Drostia and then protected by the Coretes and then, all this stuff happens to make sure Zeus is born and Crotonus doesn't swallow him. And then finally, after Zeus matures and he's able to like castrate Cronus and, and take his throne, Nyx is like, Hey, why don't you like swallow Fanes and envelop the whole world and, and be like, and basically be Fanes and encompass everything. So the whole world just comes from you. Mm. So it's like really weird that he's not first, but then he ends up being able to consume everything and be, be all 
which so it's like almost like really mercurial. It's like it's like tricksy and like you can you can be this, but it's in this Jupiterian way. It's like you can be it by just kind of spreading your territory till you are it, you know, which is yeah, I don't know. I just found that interesting that throughout you like and then Zeus Zeus gives birth to Zagreus, who becomes Dionysus, um and all this stuff where he kind of like he's always kind of like doing something mercurial, but in this, this like larger than life kind of like extreme way that makes him more Jupiterian instead. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I had been just looking at that Fani's aspect also, because um, I don't know if you wanted to talk about this. Jean, Jean had been talking a lot about um, there's the other version where, um, I don't think they happen in the same version, but the other version is Zeus eating, consuming Metis, who was his first um, mate. She's like a she's like the daughter of Oceanus, of like the primordial sort of ocean. She's like um, the spirit of wisdom. Yeah. Wiser than all the gods. And she's even fleeing from him at first by changing shapes, and he's changing shapes, pursuing her. Um. But anyway, he ends up consuming her also because right. of because of he's afraid she's going to give birth to a son. That's there's a prophecy yeah. that um, she'll give birth to a son eventually that will overthrow him. So so he eats her while she's pregnant with a different child um, who ends up being Athena. Um, and yeah, there's so much about all of this that's so interesting because on the one hand you have that part of Zeus that is so much about so much about our faith as humans and the way that we honor the world around us and so much about the way that we honor the interconnectedness of all things and we we honor that boundaryless property that can teach us so much about who we are you know beneath our humanity or you know more than just our humanity right we have this this great connection to the world. But then there's also this, this part of, of Zeus that is so much connected to these sort of stately structures and these sort of things that humans <laughs> do, right? Um, like what you were brought up at the very beginning about um, imperialism and um, just that that way that um, we have that desire to to conquer all and sort of become Zeus ourselves, right? Like we have the right to do that. <laughs> like we believe we have the right to do that when um, I think there is definitely, you know, a problem just in the way that religion has always been um, interconnected with the state and um, propaganda and it's hard to parse out the two, right? Because if we're doing war in the name of Athena, right, does it make it does it make it right? And Athena is such a strange character as she relates to Zeus because she's his daughter and she's born of like this Zeus, this like all encompassing spirit, you know, like consuming wisdom and, and implanting wise counsel in himself or um, 
you know, literally consuming wisdom and making it a part of himself. But out of that comes this figure of war. And she's just like totally thirsty for blood. It's like. Right. Yeah. And they wear the like, is it like Zeus and Athena wear the like the. um, the Gorgon's head, like upon their aegis, you know, like they're wearing this like badge of like, like primordial chaos, you know, that's pretty, that's aggressive, you know. I've also looked a lot at the Prometheus story because I think it's so interesting how the different versions are so um, different and who they, and where they put the blame. Um, and it's like, when you look at that story, um, there's so much about um, prophecy and Zeus's role as being, like, the keeper of prophecy. Yeah, and- totally. Yeah, that's, like, I kept thinking that was one of his, um, that's very mercurial, his, like, relation to the mystery schools and to, like, oracular sites and stuff. Yeah. Right, and this is like a beautiful gift of Jupiter and Sagittarius, I think, is this ability to to see something larger than just our immediate, what's immediately in front of us. Um, but it seems like the Prometheus myth sort of shows us ways that that can be lost or that that can go wrong or the ways that we can be tricked or deceived. And just the ongoing relationship that humans have with you know, with the horrors of the world, right, that come out of Pandora's box versus um, versus what we are able to see, you know, when we're connected with prophecy and when we're connected with spirit. Yeah, totally. Yeah, there's, um, and that's like the challenge, that's like one of the challenging sides of what he presents, like what I was saying earlier, like, you know, like, oh, it's going to be great, Jupiter's going to go in Sagittarius, but then it's like, Oh, but now I now I have to remember that I have like big fantasies and dreams, and like my life does, isn't fitting that, and so it becomes like difficult, you know. Like um, that's just like one iteration of it, but yeah, like what you what you see and how you like organize and like meet out like what comes out of that box, like what Jupiter's willing to give, you know, and and is like, and there's like kind of like that it relates to a degree to like that, like primordialism of like Zeus being um, raised in a cave. And, you know, some of the really early texts talk about that, like he's, he cohabitates the cave with, um, with a mystical swarm of bees, you know, and it's kind of this primordial, like the, that out of black can come everything like out of the void, anything is possible, you know? And so like staring, like basically like scrying into the void, you're like, well, you can see in here, like, what's possible. You can kind of, like, and there's that, like, oracular connection. But it's also kind of, um, that kind of congress can get sketchy, you know? Like, when you, uh, even just, like, idly playing with a Ouija board can, like, get your life haunted, you know? (laughs) That's interesting about the um, primordial bees. I'll need to look at that, because... Earlier when you were talking about Hermes or Mercury, it was making me think of, um, well, Hermes is the son of Zeus, and Hermes is born on a ca- in a cave um, out of Zeus 
having an affair with Maya. He was one of the Pleiadian um, sisters. And um, right away, Hermes goes out as a baby and steals Apollo's cattle kind of like almost right away. Um, after previously um, seeing a turtle and turning the turtle into a, a lyre, like a musical stringed instrument. And um, Apollo becomes like enraged. And right when, um, you know, and demands Zeus to bring, you know, um, bring justice to Hermes. And Hermes is just kind of lying about it and telling stories and um, pulls out the stringed instrument and plays a song. And it seems kind of body. And he's just so... Um, Zeus, you can tell Zeus, well, just reading like the hymn, like Zeus is just actually really impressed by this precocious little baby that just stole from Apollo, is so easily able to lie about it and just play the song. And, 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 um, the, is, and, um, he, you know, Apollo ends up getting that as a gift, like the string instrument. But also, what happens in that part is, um, He's given a role at Apollo's Oracle, which I'm pretty sure involves these um, these like honey eating. I think they're are they honey eating nymphs. There's definitely a connection with bees and honey. That out of that, when when um, Hermes is Zeus is like you're going to be like my messenger, and you're also going to. But he's also given a role at this at the Iraq at the Oracle. Um, but I think it's like these honey eating. Um, nymphs or priestesses that he's kind of working with in this cave at i think it's at delphi if i'm remembering that right um so that's also kind of interesting but what, what i was thinking was one of the things that's different about them is hermes is someone that's more about you know the people you know hermes and mercury didn't have these crazy ornate temples it was like people just being out on the roads at the crossroads out on the street piling up stones and honoring him. And, and he went down to the people and he interacted with the people and he was friendly to the people. And sure, he was stealing from the people and laughing at the people, but he was connected to the people and and not just people, but the whole manifested, I guess, natural world, as well as you know being able to descend down into the underworld and come back and, and run all those errands for Zeus. So there, I think just even in the myth, even though there's definitely a more of a similarity to them, like you're mentioning, that's one of the things I think that's really different, which is also similar to the astrology, is that Mercury gets kind of down more into all these different people having all these different viewpoints. Like you have your vision of the way the world is, or your religion, or your spirituality, or your lack of spirituality, but there's all these other people here that see it this way, and there's all these other people here that see it that way, and all these people over here that see it this way, and they're... And, Mercury can see all of those connections and can, and then, so that's one of the ways I think it really, that's like the, to me, kind of the heart of it countering Jupiter. Um, but it, yeah, it's, you're right that it's not like, both of them are very mutable. Both of them are, are, are very changeable. They don't necessarily have to be um, black and white honest <laughs> or like, um, they can kind of blend and mix things together. Yeah, it's definitely, they're both very oracular and kind of alchemical and visionary. Yeah, totally. Yeah, and it's interesting. Uh, what you were saying makes me think of like 
you know, the, um, the triplicity of air, you know, and like you get Mercury and Jupiter both in there. Um, and Mercury is often said to like be basically the ultimate ruler of air in a way. And then, but Jupiter is, is, um, even though he doesn't rule an air sign is, you know, in the air triplicity by, you know, because of sect, but, um, and that like in humoral theory, like this is like the sanguine humor and that's said to be like kind of the primary humor. And, um, you get more of this kind of like Zeus primacy and Mercury, like I can be anything or go anywhere because it's the sanguine humor because it's the blood that, um, is said to move all the other humors around the body, you know? Um, which like, so it's like that more of that, like Zeus Hermes, like, are they like, they're, they're, they share some territory as like Zeus is like, well, I'm everything I swallowed Fanes, you know, I'm like, I'm actually like creation itself. Mm -hmm. And, and Mercury's like, well, I can go anywhere, you know, and they have that overlap, but I wanted to kind of bring it back for a second to the honey because it's very, it's really an interesting side of Zeus. Um, they that Zeus in um, Athens and uh, you know what Sicily now was often called Zeus Mal- Malikios, which means um, like kind of the honeyed one. But it was often just meant to be like he's very kind. It's like kind Zeus, but they would say it by like, oh, he's sweet like honey. Mm-hmm. And there's um, in some of like the um, Orphic Theogony, um, Otto Professor Otto Kern's like fragments. Um, because it was, it's, we've never, it's never been, we never have like one piece, like different classical authors mention it, but there's five different versions and they're, they disagree or maybe three different versions and, um, and they're all fragmentary, but, um, Zeus, um, had like a deep fort knowledge understood that he must marry his mother, which in this case is Demeter and, uh, she who designed the works of the droning bees, it says, but, um, and so that like, that connection of, of like earth mothers, um, like primordial caves and bees and beehives. And someone was saying last night that they were looking at some history where like some of the earliest, um, I think what they were saying is some of the earliest human art that we have, um, rather than being like hunt themes are people like uh, in Africa, like trying to like, um, going out all day, wandering out, around all day in search of, of honey of, of beehives. And like, so it's interesting to see this, ver- this early, earlier version of Zeus, like representing a primordialism and it being also rooted to like the first thing and honey. Mm-hmm. And it's like almost like kind of the first motivation, um, which, which makes me think of like Zeus's in um, Mercury's, I mean, sorry, uh, Jupiter's like, especially in Sag, like inspiration, like how we were saying like, Oh, what are your dreams? Or like, like, am I really doing like the thing that's like, um, ultimately true for my soul, you know, is like, you could say like, Oh, am I still like, am I still getting that honey? You know, is like my life honeyed, you know, mm-hmm. like, is it sweet? You know, like, um, like the other versions of Zeus, like Zeus, um, Plausios is like wealth bringing. Um, but you know, that's, he steps into different, into different courts and different roles because he's in, encompasses everything. Like, uh, like he acts martial when he castrates Kronos and he's pretty Saturnian. Even in the Orphic hymns, they, they mention him as being like Saturnian mm. um, because he's ultimate and he's an, an authority. He's like his, uh, his erotic misadventures 
you could say were Venusian to a degree. He's at least like concerned with the erotic all the time. And, um, you know, he's like, as we said, he's can be very mercurial, but, and he can be lunar cause he, he like, he gestated, um, Zagreus who then be, was born the third time as Dionysus, like in his own leg. Like he, he does generate other people. He has offspring, um, and solar, obviously, because he's central and he's bright and he's authoritative. And even Helios is sometimes referred to as like Zeus's eye. So it's like the mapping of the astrological body upon Zeus. Um, and so that's like interesting that he can he can be kind of all the planets, um, and or he shows that in his behavior in in the in the myths. But but that like um, as you know, when we set him aside for a planet, that planet ends up being Jupiter, you know, like, uh, I don't know. So that's, I don't really, I don't really have a point. That's just something I noticed and the kind of the, one of the cores of, of where this investigation brought me. But I really like what you were saying about, um, when we first started about, um, and I didn't think about this one that, in thinking about his erotic misadventures and be like, well, what does this mean? You know, cause a lot of people like you, they don't even want to hear the word Zeus. They're like, Oh, that guy, like he's absolutely horrible. You know, but um, how do we contextualize all the stuff they mentioned that is, is heinous behavior into like, what were they trying to say by that? And one obviously is the fertility thing. Like he's, he's at that core of like um, eroticism and being able to like generate lots of children, but also like, uh, what is he doing when he's like chasing after people and and making them have like sexual experiences with them? Is uh, that lack of of seeing other people's boundaries? Mm-hmm. Um, Gray, you had mentioned that, and I was like, oh yeah, that's really interesting. That's kind of what that's kind of like Jupiterian there in that Piscean sense, you know? I yeah, think definitely. too, like like one, you know, those claims. You know, I think it's good to look on the Greek mythology with a lens like that definitely and see how, okay, maybe this does, um, you know, reflect something of the time that's, uh, not so great. Um, but then I do, I do also really enjoy looking like how you're saying at, at the myths to, to try to pull apart like the meaning uh, on, you know, if there is an esoteric meaning (laughs) to Zeus's, um, you know, his raping of, of, of women. Um, and part of me does feel like there's some, some truth, um, to it being, being about Zeus and Jupiter's as a planet ability to pull us into, to pull us into, um, unknown situations or different situations. And like, I looked a lot at the, um, um, I'm right now blanking on on her name, but um, in the the Taurus mythology, where you have uh, Europa, right, uh, where he takes her to Crete, and it's like he sets in motion by doing that a whole line of events, right, and it's it's against her will. Um, I think she's a sister of Metis too, actually. And she's the other thing too. She's like a moon goddess in that in that story, which is interesting but the ability uh for jupiter to like pull us into things that we might otherwise be uncomfortable or or scared to do like especially with jupiter and scorpio i noticed myself looking up at jupiter and scorpio and feeling 
unsettled. It didn't feel um, at all like the familiarity of, of Jupiter in Libra, which I have natally um, the year before that. So looking up at Jupiter and Scorpio eventually took most of the year before I finally got it, that it was about, for me personally, you know, having this trust to really enter into um, situations that seem, uh, that seem, I guess, slightly dangerous or that I'm slightly fearful of, you know, in order to, um, specifically in relation to, um, to intimacy um, and intimacy with clients and, and that kind of deep Scorpio work that there, there is a way that if you can trust and fall into it, fall into that painful Scorpionic place, right? That there's a beauty to it. And so I, I do think there's something about Jupiter that can pull us, right? Pull us into the unknown. And it relates to what you were talking about, about that, that great abyss, that great primordial abyss that's quite, um, quite terrifying to face yeah, it's intimidating by nature. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's that. Those are really good points. Um, like the, like we were saying, you know, like before we started recording, we were like, Oh, did, did, what was, what have, have you had any like Jupiter and, um, in Sagittarius stuff happen? And it's like, Oh yeah, I had this one thing. And you're like, Oh yeah, I had this thing too. Like, um, and they were things that were like, oh, here's something that you can do that'll probably improve your, um, expand your territory. It was like we were talking kind of career related stuff, but they're stuff that you don't really know how to do or like, or that is like a lot to do and you just have to like figure it out. Mm-hmm. So it's like, like, I like what you're saying is like how to interpret. It's like a, like a poor metaphor in today's standards. Be like, be like, oh, what was it like? You know, like. You're trying to say like, oh, someone offered me this job I don't know how to do, but it pays really well, and it's um, I'm just gonna have to wing it. And your metaphor is like, it's this like metaphor about like they're coming into your space and making like forcing you into a sexual situation. You're like, that's that's a really weird way to put it, but it is it does make sense that it's because those sexual situations lead to um, generating something like generating a new life or a new body. So it's, it's weird the the language they're using in the myths, but it does make sense as interpreting it as that. And there is an Orphic tendency to portray things that are mighty as terrible and unescapable, mm. you know, just to say like, Oh, it's really great. Like it'll, you know, it'll fuck you in your eye and like destroy you, you know, like, because it's so big and amazing, you know, like, it's just like a weird way to put it, you know, but like, but, um, but yeah, totally. I, it's interesting. You make me think too, the way you're just talking about that makes me think about just Eros and there's Eros. He's like Cupid or Aphrodite's son, but then there's also the Eros of like some more Orphic, different versions and some of those versions eros is actually pretty similar if not identical to fani's um which is sort of would bring the whole force of eros um in with zeus and in with jupiter um and so this particular like as far as it's going in the zeitgeist it's, it is interesting i'm not sure if ever before preceding an ingress of Jupiter into Sagittarius, if anything like what's happened in the past couple of years um, with the Jupiter and Scorpio, which is all of these 
um, allegations of sexual assault and people and rape and people just not having boundaries and, and not um, having consent or seeking consent or having awareness of consent um, that really came out during the course of the Jupiter and Scorpio transit. So there's something about that that's also just very present. Um, and I mean, it's all stuff that's been going on for for a really long time, but just, there's just there's an, there's an element of it where, on some level, somewhere at least, it seems to be being taken more serious, or at least there's more awareness put towards it. Um, and so, um, I think there there just is something about. Um, I guess that that's like the more um, literal. Metaphor, metaphor manifestation of it um but it it's not a, it's not it's not a good not exactly the greatest metaphor for what we're talking about but but it, it does make me think of if you have a dream or a vision and, and you are excited about it and you, and you want to bring this out into the world um you, you can really also not be aware always of, of how that's going to end up impacting other people um, and some people are just obviously really deluded in their quest for power and control. But um, I guess there's something important just to keep in, like we were talking before about um, just having awareness of that. But at, And at the same time, though, you, you really, like you were speaking to the idea of having like this honeyed life and, and really um, pursuing these dreams and things that really do make you want to come alive. And so... That's definitely the thing with Jupiter and Sagittarius to go to go after. Um, but you at the same time have to have awareness and integrity about how you're doing that. And, and as and, you know, you don't often know that it is an unknown. You don't know in those situations when, when you when you start some new project, how that's going to end up impacting other people. Um, and sometimes it's just other people being threatened by you. Um, because they want to be, they're in power and they see you as a threat to them. Um, so it's not like you're actually doing anything wrong or you're, you're actually even doing anything bad, but, um, yeah, just, just that, um, with the Saturn and Capricorn and Saturn coming to Pluto and Capricorn and the South node of the moon K2 being there and also the South node of Saturn, if that had a name, and the south node of Pluto, if that had a name, they're all in the same place where all these things are coming together. So there, there is like this total like structural insane breakdown. And this whole Capricorn, I mean, it, it really is a symbol of this abyss being opened. And so it is a moment, I think, to kind of claim like, what is it that you want to take into this chaotic abyss we're all about to enter? in this new year, you know, I don't know if I, <laughs> no, I hear you. Yeah. It's like, it's, it'll definitely be like, Oh, and there's this too. There's this abyss that's just opened. Like, what do you want to carry into the other side of that? You know, like, like get up and move. We have to like, you know, it's like Exodus time. We have to go to the other side of this abyss. What are you bringing with you? Like what's, what's actually like most important, like what is closer to your dreams and your fantasies or like what makes your life, honeyed and what is just like just some stuff that you've built up around you like because it's going to be draining out the like 
the stuff you built up around you, like at that Capricorn, like, like when someone has like, um, their Saturn opposition, like, you know, in the early forties and they like look at like, Oh, I just built this whole system around myself and it doesn't fit me anymore. Mm -hmm. You know, it's like doing that for the whole world in a sense, you know, but I want to not drop. I was thinking about something as you were talking, but what's that? (laughs) Um, it's like a couple ideas back. The um, uh, I guess it'll come back around again. But you, I wanted to like interject on one of your points. Um, but yeah, like there's another thing about Zeus that came up that was really interesting. That um, like a, a, all the all the myths seem to like agree that like Zeus, that cave where Zeus was like raised. Oh wait, I, now I remember. It's like when you were saying like if someone gets if someone gets bit, if you expand yourself, like, um, do you, do you like impose on other people, you know, or like, even like how you said, even like, Oh, I'm getting big. Now I'm a threat to this other person because it's like along their lines. And that you see that over and over in the myths of Zeus, like Zeus is born. Um, and that's a problem for Kronos. And then Zeus is worried about people that he gives birth to, that they might become a problem for him. You know, that like, getting bigger and like we were i think we're making a metaphor earlier like um zeus will be like here's a territory now fill it up with stuff like someone's like hey kid do you need a job and you're like you're like oh that opens that opens up a whole new area in my life you know um and that like just those that metaphor like of territory like like space is territory you know and um being like you're like, well, whose territory is it? <laughs> you know, like someone just like gives you this land. Now go build whatever you want in it. And you're like, well, whose land was it? You know, like it didn't just, it's not land that just got made. And I think like Jupiter does have that ability to create new space, but just like kind of the way the universe functions, it almost, it almost normally doesn't come from, from Aether. It's regenerated from something else, you know? It's, yeah. I like I like what you're saying about that because I think it kind of calls us to change our perspective about just the way we think about ourselves because if Jupiter if Jupiter really is um you know this daimonic force I mean that's this is the other part of Jupiter that I did want to bring in that it's um Zeus um is, is very, very often, you know, directly connected with the force of the daimon, the force of that guiding spirit for each of us individually that guides us on our, our journey um, in this life. And, and if Jupiter really is um, coming to us and, and showing us, you know, this path, at what point, you know, do we betray ourselves and begin to think of things not being all connected like at what point do we do we become um selfish right I mean these are sort of the modern negative associations with Jupiter is this greed or this imperialism this um when when the mystical significations of of Zeus are so much about you know, this, this all encompassing force that guides everyone, um, that everyone has a daimon, everyone has something that guides them. 
And when do we abuse that truth like in our minds and deceive ourselves to thinking it's otherwise? Or when do we, um, yeah, begin to take ownership over something that is really the ownership of the gods? And I think it's a big thing for me is like um, proper reverence, uh, reverence of the gods, um, which is not everyone's thing, but to me, it definitely feels like there's a major, um, sort of a major disconnect that I think happens where um, that does have to do with entitlement, which is another one of these sort of modern Jupiter shadow, shadow things. Um, but I think like the way that we are become clouded, right, or the way that we then try to take territory from the gods, right, or take take something that truly doesn't belong to us. You know, it goes back to the Prometheus myth of trying to trick, trying to trick Zeus, trying to trick the gods so that we can have more power as humans instead of, um, instead of reverence. And I do think there's something, there's something about this because it, you know, I think it is true that some people will take advantage of Jupiter being in Sagittarius to do exactly what you're talking about, to just expand whatever, and it, you know, because it can be hard to sort out, you know, in a natal chart, is it really Jupiter that is um, the problem? Why someone is so excessive, right? Or can it be found somewhere else? Is there, is there another function like a Saturn or a Mercury function that's not, that's not putting that into perspective? Um, it's an ongoing question, I think. Yeah, totally. Yeah, I was like reading for um, a few clients this past week that were like had loads of Sagittarius stuff going on in their chart. And as I was like making my notes and preparing to meet with them, um, it just kept coming back again and again and again for and was um, echoed like was reinforced like multiple places in their chart, not just in the Sagittarius placements, like the need to like self analyze, you know, to be like. Um, they have like all that fire energy, all that like inspiration to like do and go. But um, being like, yeah, that's great. But you got to like, even though you're not maybe naturally inclined to, to like turn the like the microscope around on yourself every once in a while and be like, what or just even so you don't get carried away. So you don't get like, like way down the wrong road. And before you realize, you know, that you're like in the wrong neighborhood that you might be lost and aren't admitting it, you know, mm. but, um, there, yeah, I was starting to make a point earlier about, I'm changing the subject, but, uh, about another, um, earlier version of Zeus that like, um, all the, like in the classics, they kind of agree. Everyone agrees that that cave where Zeus was nurtured was in Crete. And so that kind of points to that, like, Oh, this, this, even this myth itself comes from, from Cretan myths. And so, this early version of Zeus from Crete um, was he was like a boy god, and it was a lot about him just being like the son of a goddess, um, and that like they had these dolls of the goddess that was like a goddess inside of a goddess, and like idols, like a, a goddess inside inside of a goddess inside of a goddess inside of a goddess, like those Russian dolls, you know, and um, to be like matrilinear lineage, you know. Um, and that, like, the point of a boy, a boy god 
like a sun god who like kind of was like forever a boy, like never matured, is that it didn't like disrupt that matrilinear like goddess lineage like the way a daughter could, like the daughter could eclipse the mother, but the the boy god like kind of did a, another function and was able to like kind of be there as like a stud, like for would like um would be the one who would fertilize like the mother so that she could keep creating the world, you know? Um, and so he was kind of this consort boy son, um, and kind of like fertilizer, you know, like, uh, very kind of like, uh, uto- like that kind of utopian dystopian sci-fi, like, um, like, you know, like the, the men are just there to just like be fertilizer fertilizers and they like, you know, drones and they have no other function, but like, um, uh, but he, it wasn't until later that like when he moved into like, like the Greek mainland, et cetera, that he became the mighty all encompassing Zeus. And even some of the, um, some of the, uh, the classic writers like Euhemerus um, proposed that Zeus had actually been a great king of Crete. And that was what the whole myth was modeled on. Like he got like this boy God, they were like, became kind of like um, a perfect place to pin this, like the attributes of this really great king. And then this kind of at the beginning of, of like um, that, like where they like um, the polis, you know, the culture of the polis and, where the, the gods get togas and start acting like people rather than like just forces, mm-hmm. you know, um, like you're like, Oh, well there's like an emperor, there's a King and we need like a King God, you know? And they're like, how about this boy God, you know? Like, so it's really weird to see like his earlier reflections too, before there was this, before Zeus maybe swallowed Phanes and became ultimate, you know, like that, that was something that happened by someone seizing territory, you know? Yeah. It's, it's amazing. I think it's so important to, to remember that like the gods are not static. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Yeah. And that are, like you were saying, it's not everyone's cup of tea to like reverence, the gods and be in a relationship with them, but that, that our, our relationship with them is, is changing and maturing them as well. Like there's, there's feedback, you know, it's, it's hubris to say that like we are controlling the gods, but there is like a dynamic where like they, they and us like change with each other, you know? Yeah. Right. Yeah. It's like that reverent relationship rather than just like using it to get something that you want. Um, I was thinking, which you can do, like that's like classic yeah. ancient magic is like bullying the gods, you know? <laughs> right, right. So that right because there's that premise, right? But there was always people that would write against that. Yeah, yeah, right. Yeah, it was in like it was in some sort of, um, you know, there's the priestly class, and then there's like jobbing magicians, you know, who are doing different things, and often like the jobbing magician is is more community based. Like it's like people who don't have the upper hand need someone to kind of tip the scales just so they can get by, you know? Right. Well, I was trying to think like, what would be a, a good way to work with Jupiter in these ways? And it's sort of like when you're, you started off by mentioning the imperialism and the, like the nutmeg trade, which you can take that to a lot of areas. Um, sort of like when you're also talking about someone offers you this new job and you get this new territory, but then, where is that territory? And like, and he was already there. Um, and I don't know if 
I feel like Saturn and, and Capricorn maybe gets associated more with like ancestors or being aware. But I mean, Jupiter ha and like Zeus has everything in it, right? So there's no reason Zeus and Jupiter shouldn't be aware of the spirits of the land or the ancestors or who was already there. And so I think it's just kind of almost like when you're when you're going into these new territories and, and pursuing this more honeyed life, as we were talking about, that if you're going into that, is just having more of a reverence for everything you're in, in relationship with. Um, it's that, that uh, I think it's Martin Buber, or I don't know how to say his name, but it's like that, there's that I-it relationship and like an I versus an I-thou relationship, whereas the I-it is kind of like you're just looking at, you're in relationship with things to, to fulfill your own needs. Whereas an I thou is like you're recognizing the the divinity or the nature of whatever you're in relationship with, and if if Jupiter and Sat and, and Sagittarius or just Jupiter in general is coming more from that place, I think it's um, doesn't doesn't um, amend any of doesn't mean you're not going to come into these situations, but just a better place to initially come from. Um, inter interacting in, in a Jupiter way as you're, because yeah, by naturally expanding, I mean it's all it's always going to be an an issue. And um, if you're if you're engaging in Jupiter in in the way that it's about prophecy, where you're you set up an altar and you sit down in front of it and you're like, tell me what's what's going on. Like in general, this the spirits won't won't lie or cloud things from you unless it's really necessary. But I mean, I think they'll be honest with you. And it's like, it's like, I think you could take advantage of, of Jupiter in a less mindful way versus working with it in a really mindful way. I don't think, um, and maybe this is me being optimistic, but I don't think the spirits, if you're being intentional about working with spirits that are, uh, I don't know what to say, you know, for the highest good or, you know, I think they'll be honest, you know, with you about, about what your opportunities really are and what they, what they really mean. And I think that could be a way to sort of, because I think, Jupiter can show us that too. I mean, Jupiter can, can be honest with us too. I don't think it's. Yeah. Like, yeah. I, yeah. I like that. Like that almost like divinatory, you know, interacting with the oracular side of Zeus is, is kind of like going to the Oracle in a divinatory, um, you know, that's, it's humbling to go and be like, I, you know, I need to see like, so like, you know, like you, you go before, the Sybil and, and she breaks it, breaks it down for you, you know, and that like, um, so like working with that oracular side of Zeus to kind of be like, to, as one of the methods of monitoring your expansion and your optimism about like what, what you're going to go about and do and, and, and like grow, you know, it's like that coherence side of, of, of Jupiter, like to help me understand more of what I'm looking at. And like, like when Zeus, um, after he swallows Fanes and like castrates his father, uh, he rides a she goat to the sky and and Nyx like tells him um, 
to keep law, justice, and piety by his side, you know? So I think she's like, all right, you're huge, you know, you're like, you're super big, you're like the ultimate celebrity. Make sure that you keep law and justice and piety, like, close at hand, you know? Like, because you're really powerful now, you know? And so, yeah, I think that's that's a really good way to look at it. That That is something that we monitor as we Zeus out over the um, time that like Jupiter's in Sagittarius, that we have to like keep a monitor on ourselves. Mm-hmm. And one of the best ways to do that is, is like frequent divination, you know, cause Zeus also does like, I, you know, you're like, I'm typically doing divination with more mercurial um, kind of spirits or, or on mercurial, um, mercurial timings or, or with the dead or, you know, like even, like you said, Saturn and ancestors, like, but I've, since Jupiter's gone into Sagittarius, I've started doing, um, like geomancy readings on a kind of Jupiter altar and just approaching, um, divination more like less as like, show me the info, like, show me the sign, like, what should I look for? You know, how will I know, how will I know it's the thing? Give me the detail or like, or speak to me, tell me something. But with Jupiter being more like, help me to kind of understand like what's going on here. Like show me kind of like, like, like pull back the scope and like, like let me understand how all the pieces fit together and like what this thing is, you know, uh, mm-hmm. what, what this thing of life is, you know, like, mm-hmm. uh, yeah. And so it's interesting, like divination isn't just one thing. There's different modes and, and with, and with, in the Jupiter mode, um, it's funny. It's like a feedback loop. Like um, divination in a Jupiterian mode helps you keep your Jupiter under control. Helps like keep your Zeus on a leash. Mm-hmm. You know. Yeah, I think so. I like, I like the idea of like, trying to understand. Um, I think that's a good like working with Jupiter to understand rather than conquer and <laughs> yeah, yeah. expand your empire or whatever. The yeah, yeah. Negative and. Uh, to understand, yeah, um, because it, there is like that more traditional idea of Jupiter that's actually it's a moderating influence that it's not about excess, which is definitely sort of like a those parts of the stars aren't, aren't really reconciled very well. But mm-hmm. I think the Jupiter can really understand and then work with some limits. You know, it can be a moderating influence. You, you could be like, oh, I need to pull back here and redirect over here because if I do this, this is all going to happen. Um, or, you know, I, I need to think about this more. Um, yeah. It makes me think of like, <clears throat> and something you were saying earlier too, I think about Jupiter and Scorpio and, and about like um, everything coming out with people realizing like um, about consent and, and everything like, and um, that like Zeus's behavior throughout the myths and this might have been like obvious to like people back in the back in ancient times, but uh, now it's just like dawning on me or something that's like, oh, when Zeus does that, that's Jupiter and Scorpio. Like, mm-hmm. don't don't worry about how that affects the rest of his nature. That's this one kind of Jupiter, you know. Or like when when Zeus, but when Zeus does this, it's it's Jupiter and Libra, you know. Like, um, and like so, you know, Jupiter's going to act different and so sometimes it's it's gonna it's gonna like be like oh, okay yeah like let's not go overboard let's put some jupiter on it and it'll give you the understanding to not go overboard like the there is like a bit of like a temperance jupiter too but we have we have this like um drinking with the monks calendar that has all like the catholic um feast days on it so we can keep track of what's going on and every month you get a, a 
a classic painting of like a monk, like throwing back some wine and eating some food. And some of them, like they're passed out, you know, like other monks, <laughs> other monks finding a passed out monk, like in the wine cellar, you know, but I, I really like the, my, like my kind of like coverall for Jupiter archetype is the, like the feasting friar or merry monk, you mm-hmm. know, like he has good intentions he might drink too much and have like he's, gout. have gout. He might yeah. get gout and like he's eating a lot of food, but he's a he's a spiritual guy and he's a he's a religious man and his and he loves wisdom. Yeah, and he loves wisdom and like his mind is always filled with like bigger ideas, but it but he's not like an ascetic. He's not mm-hmm. like starving himself. He but he he'll host you like how still you can go stay at monasteries and it's a very fair price and you eat a meal with the monks and you know like. Um, I don't know. It kind of, it's like a kind of good reset, like for, for Jupiter, like in that excess mode, because it's excess that it's not really hurting anybody, you know, like they're, they're kind of like, they have access to this food and, and wine, um, because they're like spending their time producing it because people support them for being spiritual and, 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 like providing that for the community it's a calling but then they share it like they're concerned with with making sure everyone has enough you know even and like you know when you're at that source of like like if you're if you've ever worked like um around like food nut bombs or something like that if you're cooking a a meal for like a community you can eat what as much as you want while you're doing that there's plenty of food you know right yeah and i it reminds me too of um, about um, upayas, which are the, you know, a type of devotional practice with the planets from Indian astrology. And one of the things that, um, that I've read about upayas is that a lot of it is um, you make offerings to the planet and to the people who represent that planet. So I think it reminds me of that because it's, like another way that you can get on Jupiter's good side is to be generous yourself. Like you were just saying is to like go out there and give to other mm-hmm. people is, you know, you can em- embody that Jupiter yourself a little bit more and that will really help Jupiter shine on you right in a good way and not in any kind of vengeful way. Because I do think, not that that's like the biggest worry with Jupiter, but I think it's possible, you know, that it can be abused and that it can lead you down a bad path, you know, if you're if you're engaging in some of those um if you're right, if you're not making offerings to Jupiter, if you're not sharing what you have, if you're not sharing your wisdom or even just the idea of like offering counsel to people who need it, even if it's just a friend or you know, just sharing, because that's a big part of Jupiter too, is just sharing what you know, not in a, um, you know, in an honest way, right? Not in a sort of self-aggrandizing way, but, and then the other thing would be just helping Jupiter people. So, um, (laughs) I mean, Jupiter, I'm laughing because I'm, seeing how like Jupiter people often are doing pretty well, but um. yeah, right. Yeah, totally. You're like, Oh, here's a, here's a guy with like 
a big like an overfed guy with plenty of money looks like <laughs> let's give him something you know but it could also be teachers, teachers right yeah. i was just joking yeah totally yeah. Yeah. on like yeah. a thursday you know go and 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 volunteer to be like a ta for free yeah totally yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think we were talking about this on our last episode. Like, we have, like, a giant Hammond organ. It's not, like, even the normal Hammond organ. It's one that would they'd probably use for, like, Hello, Dolly back in the day or something. You know, it's, like, it's like giant. The Surrealist Musical. Yeah, the Surrealist Musical. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, but we were, like, gonna, we were like, maybe we should donate this giant organ to, like, the local Catholic church because they just, like, they don't even have an organ. They just have this guy playing, like, like keyboard. An, out of, yeah. yeah, like a, like, Casio keyboard or something, you know? Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah. But, yeah. Um, yeah, I think, yeah, like, definitely, like, getting over the course of the year, getting in that Jupiter current, like acting like Jupiter, being Jupiter as much as you can, trying to get in Jupiter's head and be him is, is going to make you much more likely to be the recipient of, of, of Jupiter gifts and Jupiter mm-hmm. opportunities, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Just a general, like up, uplifting, upliftment of others and yeah, being jovial, generous. Um, when you had mentioned that earlier about, Prometheus. I don't know how much time we have left, but um, you sort of mentioned Pandora's jar. And there's one thing I listened to this podcast on BBC recently um, that was about Pandora's jar. Um, and the thing about that story is that because Prometheus steals fire to bring to humanity, um, Zeus is really upset about that. And um, there's also this part of the story about. Um, Prometheus tricking him with like the meat versus the bones he selects and it kind of sets up the paradigm of humans um, feasting and eating the meat and offering the bones um, to the gods and Zeus is kind of like well I'm not going to give you fire then like he doesn't want to give them fire to cook the meat and anyways it's kind of part of this feud and so it's kind of a it's a really Pandora's jar is a really messed up story uh, I don't think there's a, as far as anybody that doesn't that is not a uh, I mean, it's like it's like the ultimate story of the patriarchy, it seems. But if you don't know that story, I mean, it's sort of like Pandora is created to bring is like this woman created that's given to um, Prometheus's brother to basically unleash the, all the evils onto the world. And um, but when she opens the jar, it's kind of said she she ends up closing the jar, and and it's it said not only were all the evils unleashed into the world, but the one that remained in the jar is hope. And so anyway, this was like a podcast where we were talking about these different philosophies across time, arguing is is hope a good or is hope an evil? And there's a way hope gets very like Christianized about this hope of, within this religious paradigm, but um, that can be very, uh, has played out very problematic in some ways. And, and there's, there's certainly like the idea, like you can be really, hopeful in this way where you're really not connected to what's actually happening and somebody's really full about what they're doing and just really hurting other people um and not having that awareness but there's a, like the bottom line in me that i i kind of took from that just thinking about there is something about hope that is just ultimately about how we, we there is this level of hope we do need just to survive um and try to uplift others and just negotiate the, the day-to-day and this, you know, the material world we're in. Um, There's a version of the story, too, where 
they actually say that it was kind of for Zeus to leave the hope um, in the box. And so, and I, I just found this quote. It's from the Dictionary of Greek and Roman Biography and Mythology, but I just liked it. It says, Pandora then lifted the lid of the vessel in which the foresight of Prometheus had concealed all of the evils which might torment mortals in life. Diseases and sufferings of every kind now issued forth, but deceitful hope alone remained behind. But this idea that like the foresight of Prometheus was hiding the horrors of the world, like the ability that we had to like look into the future that Prometheus gave us, like, like somehow masked the horrors of the world. Um, but then because, you know, we sort of betrayed Zeus, um, you know, we had to have all those harsh realities, you know, we had to have Prometheus taken away from humanity and the foresight taken away. We like lost the ability to see the future. And because of that, then we are met with all these horrible, um, horrible, um, afflictions that we couldn't see beyond, but then Zeus out of compassion left us with the blind hope. It's deceitful. It's not a true vision. And I think it really, there's so much about Jupiter that is about that because, and right now in our times, like the myth is so still so relevant. Um, I mean, yeah, there's the whole sexist component to the original myth, but, um, if you sort of ignore, <laughs> just ignore that. Um, so the way we were talking about, like, what do they mean, you know? Yeah, right, right, yeah. Um, sure, I mean, why is it a feminine force that brings in all the destruction? I mean, the goddess is very destructive, and we know that, and that's that's an aspect of her. <laughs> um, so... Yeah, and because where does that put us in all of this? Because for so many of us, I think we can't see beyond. We can't see beyond the Saturn-Pluto conjunction. We really don't have the foresight to see what's on the other side, unless there's some of us who do. No, that's, so that's, that's actually a really interesting point. I've done, I do like other divination, like with clients, like spirit, um, spirit-based divination and, and like divination with the dead and stuff like that. So I'll be doing a natal chart for someone. And then it kind of goes beyond the astrological territory. Like they're like, um, they have a question that just like, can't be answered that way. Like they're like, should I move to, to New York? And I'm like, Oh, well, looking at your chart, you should move to the place that you're most organically, you can live your most organic pace that would like suit you. And they're like, yeah, but is that New York? You know? And I'm like, okay, well, I don't know. Let's, let's talk to the Oracle, you know? And then I've noticed like multiple times that if they're, they're having a Pluto transit, like if Pluto is coming to their sun or something like that, that I'll, in the same session, I'll be doing divinations for, um, another client and get really concrete and clear information. And then when I try to ask about their, um, their concerns, the information is really obscure and bizarre. And like, it's like that, like if someone is having a Pluto experience coming up, uh, I notice like they'll often in con consultation, they'll describe their problems as being like, I really can't see where I'm going to be in six months. And I'm like, well, yeah, that's interesting. In about six months, you're going to have this like Pluto conjunct your son. You said like, that literally is like you can't see it, but you actually, it's like you actually can't see it with like you can switch to like consult with other 
intelligences and they're like yep we can't see that either it's completely dark you know yeah yeah, yeah and, and that's what i think this, this jupiter and the fire sign and like the kindling that like i think you were mentioning that earlier just like whatever that is you have that you want to bring about you know you have to be have a mercurial sense of humor too that like you know it's, it's not going to maybe work out the way you want it may not even ultimately be what you think it is right now but if you at least like take that into the into that unknown um that's to me at least kind of like the big thing to get out of the jupiter and sag sagittarius just like and, and not like not like a totally blind hope, but there is a certain element where, or like blind faith. I mean, there is a little bit of that going on where you kind of have to ultimately have this like faith in the unknown. Like, I don't know what's going to happen, but I'm going to at least step in with this intention and face whatever it is and shift as as, as need be. Yeah, it is kind of like more of that like um, blending of, of Mercury and Jupiter on the spectrum, like the fire of Jupiter's. Sagittarian like fire like that hope kindled that you're saying is kind of like um like Hecate um has the torch and that's why she's the guide of like she can bring you through the underworld safely because she can like illuminate like your path as you go like and it's like bringing that that Jupiter hope through your like um your your kind of like underworld journey you know but like um what was I going to say about that um it's like like the star card is is like that like just about hope you know the, in tarot and and it is like like you're saying there's like the christianized version version of hope that and like um that we can throw out half of it you know but and save half of it and then there's like the um the kind of naive hope like you know you're saying like deceit you know like like hope can be deceitful like i hope this was would happen and it wasn't realistic it's not what happened but then that hope is a form of belief, like kind of an operative belief, like even if you don't know if it's going to come together, is like is is necessary in magical operation. Like you can't do it, no, like no matter which kind of magic you're using, you know, you, you can't do it if you don't believe. It's not going to work if you don't believe in it, you know, like. Um, and so, yeah, there is that kind of like, you know, like like new thought like meets chaos magic kind of like a uh, very Sagittarius, like, um, you know, you got to believe you got to like, like motivational speak speaker stuff, you know, but, but you do kind of have to take, take that function and, and, and take that with you as you go through the unknown. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. And I don't know like where it all, it doesn't all get wrapped up simply um well i mean the myth does have some interesting things that do happen later either heracles or chiron sort of resolving prometheus's um uh how do i put it his um sort torture. of the torture is, <laughs> yeah the torture and the um it's like a weird like death regeneration or just the devouring of his liver, which is a Jupiterian thing. And then the regeneration of it sort of feels like this, almost feels like a shamanic process in some way. Um, so there is maybe like this sort of key thing with Chiron or Heracles that I think can 
those archetypes maybe have something to say about where we are now. Mm, yeah. Yeah. When you were saying torture too, it made me think like, we don't have to think of it, like how it lands on us in our lives as, as necessarily like torture, like being ultimately bad, but just like when you say like, uh, like the tortured artist, you know, like they're kind of tortured. It's part of their genius, you know, like being, having that, that genius, which is kind of a Prometheus word, you know, like, uh, that insight like kind of makes you kind of tortured, you know, but that, but most people that experience that, like, they're not like trying to give that up, you know, they're like, Oh, do you want to just kind of be like the masses and not be the, like this artistic kind of like have this psychic layer of yourself. And it's like, of course I'm not going to be like, Oh yeah, get rid of that please. Because, because it, you know, uh, because it just bothers me that like I I like frame the world and like why isn't the world amazing like how I can envision it you know like um, I don't know I see a bit of that there and that like like yeah like calling upon um, Heracles and Chiron like for for kind of their it is like to a degree like an amount of bravery which is similar to that hope you know to like to uh, to be able to like brave the day you know to brave this like this like crazy world that we live in. That's all inside of Zeus, you know, <laughs> like, um, yeah. yeah and it, it might be a good time to bring up the fact that Jupiter and Mars end up with a forming a natural opposition with their exaltations, mm-hmm. right? Jupiter being exalted in cancer and Mars being exalted in, in Capricorn. Mm-hmm. I mean, it is like a fertility as opposed to death thing, but I think uh, there might be something here with this bravery. Yeah, totally. I think we're definitely going to have to be brave, you know, and you have to brave, brave, like bravery kind of like has to be in, it is inspired, like, right. It's like very fiery, you know, um, either that, or if some people want to go totally mercury and just go stealth, you know, maybe that's like, (laughs) that's for, uh, for some, you know, but, um, but yeah, I think, and you can see that, you don't directly see bravery in Zeus, but him being like larger than life is like, so Jupiterian, you know, and that like a bit of that, like if you conjure a bit of Zeus, like if you uh, invoke a bit of Zeus, like it definitely can add to your, your kind of like, um, like that bravery and that like vigor and like ability to like stand up to everything, you know? Mm-hmm. Right. He's very con. He's like pretty confident guy, you know. <laughs> yeah, it's interesting. I think of like Heracles slaying the eagle, which is like Zeus's emblem, right? But he has permission to do it, and it's like a way that he's gaining glory and sort of like overcoming through this like eagle, like the eagle's like you know it's like this high vision. Um, place um, so maybe there's like this heroic sort of way of like taking that down but then sort of maybe maybe gaining some of it versus like the other story with Chiron where it's like Chiron is like you know I'll take your place it's like this different way of just saying okay I'm going to feel the pain This it's an archetypal human pain right because this well, we didn't mention, maybe we should have just gone through the myth at some point, but it's it's a creation myth about humans. Like Prometheus was given the job with his brother to make to make man, 
and Prometheus felt bad for man having, you know, like such little wisdom or control or power. And so Chiron, he was wounded himself, right? He's already, this is like interesting. It's because it's, he's wounded because of Heracles in one of the stories, right? So it actually sort of connects in a weird way. Um, but he's, he's like going to take the role of this, it's a strange, it's a, it's, it's a strange thing because it's the role of this, um, this thing that's like befallen humanity, like through no control of our own. It's just this thing that happened with, with the gods surrounding us. And it's, you know, it's an interesting, it's an interesting kind of thing like that we can offer ourselves up and like, because of our own wounds to sort of take the, take on the wound of humanity um, or of, of a God that influenced forever the course of humanity. Um, I think, yeah, there's definitely a, a strange lesson in that. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Yeah. And Zeus, like the other, um, you know, myth of like, where, you know, where did people come from? <laughs> like, um, when Zagreus is like, you know, the baby, um, like the Titans come and they like, they, um, give him like the toys to distract him and he's playing with, with the different things. And he looks into the mirror and gets like hypnotized by the mirror. Like he's playing with the rattle and then looks in the mirror and he's like, sees his reflection. And then, and they use that as an opportunity to like seize him and, and eat him basically. And like, he shapeshifts like his father Zeus does in that other myth, like into a million different creatures. Then finally um, ends up as a bull where they finally like tear him apart and they like um, roast him on stakes, you know, and that like Zeus finds out and he's like, what the hell? And he like goes down and, and, you know, just annihilates them all like in his like lightning, you know, his kind of like lightning Zeus form. And all the Titans are just reduced to ash. And with that ash, they like, like, form like uh, human shapes and they give it what remains was the heart of Zagreus. And so they humans kind of get the heart of, of like Zeus's son to like um, to animate them. Like, even though they're made out of the ash of Titans, like, you know, as we're mortals, like we're of the earth, but we have, a we have that spark of, you know, in Prometheus, it's kind of like that fire and spark kind of. Um, and in with Zagreus, it's like, it's, like we have heart, which, you know, for them, the heart was also the mind, you know? Um, but it's like by being like, by being like, we're part Zeus, basically. It's like Zeus's son that like, we get some of his mind also, you know, by a couple, um, there's like a couple layers of separation, but we're like, we have a little bit of like that Zeus in us, you know? It's yeah. That's wild to think about in terms of, of just how to experience Jupiter and Sagittarius in that way of, of reconnecting to our divine spark of remembering, you know, through this, you know, it's a ridiculous thing, you know, that we're facing right now as humans. And so to go back to like a creation, the creation stories now makes so much, so much sense. Yeah, totally. Yeah. And, and I, I like what you're saying too about like, you know, um, people like having reverence for the gods or interacting with the gods, you know, like that it's a good time to do that. And through that, realize that you're also a God, you know, not like I was saying before, not in like a hubris way, but 
like in invocation, there's often a part where you take on the role of the God, you know, where you're like, like I am in her and she is in I, like we're the same thing. Like, um, and that's part of the process of like, like, um, I think it doesn't just make you like a powerful, like megalomaniac asshole. It also is like, it, it like, um, reignites that spark within you and you and like we were saying divination to understand you can understand more about yourself and about the world and reality we live in you know yeah no definitely because i think there's ways that i think if you're gonna think you're a god in a megalomania kind of way it's just a very human thing to do (laughs) yeah yeah (laughs) versus like actually like being willing to open open up for your consciousness to change. Yeah, totally. <laughs> cool. Well, I think there's one aspect. Yeah. I think you probably need to wrap that up, huh? I, I was... <laughs> Say it. Yeah, yeah, but go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah. Um, but it was kind of opening. It was making me think of the Dionysus. Um, well, actually there's a bunch of different things I was thinking of, but um, just one thing we haven't mentioned, at least just to mention it is one thing that's really interesting about this, journey of jupiter through sagittarius is it's squaring neptune and pisces and um especially in this period with mars and neptune together squaring with you know having squaring uh the the sagittarius um and the last time jupiter was in sagittarius it was very colored by pluto being in sagittarius but this time it's like this is jupiter squaring neptune um and there is something where um a lot of people i've seen actually will connect Dionysus to Neptune, um, but I, I've always kind of liked Dionysus as a figure just to represent Pisces and, and how Jupiter can kind of be in Pisces. But I think there's something about the Jupiter squaring Neptune that just bring in that that Dionysian aspect, which which can be like things really can just. I mean, with Neptune, we talk about things being dissolved, whereas Dionysus is more like dismembered, and you know, there's like this this like orgiastic ecstasy and things being ripped apart but there's also something uh really again oracular and fucking you know creatively fertile um and certainly brings in the tortured artist also um so i feel like it's it's kind of a big topic to kind of bring in but 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 just the fact that jupiter's squaring neptune this whole time is, is is really a like a key extra thing um they began their cycle back in 2009 at the end of aquarius i think it's like 2022 or so they started a new cycle in pisces um and so there's one of the things about that is just kind of being i think in the context of what we've been talking about letting things things might have to dissolve or kind of get ripped apart what we kind of thought things were maybe going to be but there's also this what's this new what's what like what is this new understanding you're you're gaining and reorienting yourself towards this this what what's what's coming out of this that is this like new truth or new vision or understanding for you to kind of bring in with it yeah totally yeah the the neptune's a really good point it's kind of like paradigm shift like um via like you know as all this stuff is happening in the cancer capricorn axis and we're like okay like a bunch of society is actually getting um, like taken apart so it can be put back together or something. It's like, oh, shoot, like we need to dissolve the UN to like update it and have like, um, you know, a, a governing body that actually fits like today or things like that. But um, 
in the in that process you get like um kind of this paradigm shift where you like you're saying you have to dissolve everything you know or everything you believe like everything you're like guess what everything you thought is true is not exactly true like they're like um like they roll out some crazy technologies that they're like oh guess what global warming is not a big deal we have these technologies you didn't even know about that can fix it like things like like not that i believe that's going to happen exactly but just these like there's going to be some like total curveballs that I think that kind of boggle our minds, you know, and it's like kind of like, um, like as we get advanced super fast into the next age, you know, as like the great chronic creators like Jupiter and Saturn coming together in air signs and we're about to move into like an epoch of that. Like, it's just like, oh, yeah, everything's saying big shift, you know, and, and it's kind of like, you know, if you've done acid before, you know, you've had that reshuffling of your mind, you know, you're like, oh yeah, everything changed after I, I took acid for the first time. I, I reframed like what life is differently. Like, um, with Uranus and, and Taurus is like straddling either side. Like Uranus is in Taurus for like three and a half years. Um, while it's in, we're still in like the earth era to a degree, like even though there's overlap and then he's, in in Taurus for three and a half years when we're in the air side. So he's like changing our like material, like volatizing and radicalizing and changing our material reality as we go through that shift. And like, yeah, that Jupiter does like that square to Jupiter's square to, um, to Neptune is probably going to like foreshadow a lot of like what's really going to get dissolved. And I see Dionysius a lot in, in a like, backwards way like in uranus and taurus as well is that I, one thing i noticed while uranus is in taurus is that and especially being trine to saturn and capricorn is that um there is a need for ecstatic experiences and, and as long as they were like um responsibly scheduled into your life you know like we can like oh yeah we can like totally go into a trance on sunday night you know as long as we like as, as long as it doesn't like blend into Monday, you know? <laughs> yeah. Cool. Yeah. Certainly, certainly a lot of shifts. And another one I'll just throw in is like the declination of, of Pluto with Pluto going out of bounds. Oh yeah. Right. <laughs> That's going to affect us for like, what, like a decade or something. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. <laughs> it's, it's definitely like um, an exciting time to be alive where we get to like, be the ones who like go to space and start interacting with like the fourth dimension and like are uh, hanging out with holograms and things like this, you know, like, uh, um, so yeah, I do kind of have to wrap it up, but really great to talk to both of you and really great points and really great perspectives and would love to have you back on again, like, um, at some point, because I think this could use like another, um, another go there's so much to say about zeus like he's he's a bit he's as big as as he seems to be and like as we have more realizations about zeus and about jupiter over the course of the year maybe like in a few months we should get together and and talk again yeah that'd be great yeah that sounds great i'd love to do more studying and and also have the personal experience yes yeah yeah, and it's like, and it's part. It could be part of our Jupiter practice, I think, too. Is you're like, well, time to study Jupiter and study Zeus, mm-hmm. you know, like. <laughs> but for people listening, if they want to get in touch with you and check out your material, etc., like, um, I guess you already mentioned your what your websites are, but maybe just remind people of your websites and anything else you have going on that you want to tell people about. 
Um, yeah, so my website is juneroseastrology.com. Um, you can contact me on, on there. And as for things going on, I mean, Gray and I have been doing just a monthly meetup here in Olympia, and I'm available for readings. Um, I don't really have anything planned beyond that, but I know Gray has some things. Well, my site is graycrawford.net, and then I don't the next kind of bigger things I have planned is in case anybody is interested in going to the Norwalk Astrology Conference, which takes place in Seattle. Although technically, it's more like near the Seattle airport, which is kind of in between Seattle and Tacoma, but um, that takes place in late May, the Memorial Day weekend, um, and I'm going to be speaking at that. Um, so that's kind of the really major thing. Otherwise, I sometimes will do little webinars that people long distance can participate in. If you go to my site, if I'm doing something like that, you'll probably see it listed. If anybody is listening to this in the Olympia area, as Jean said, we, we have been doing monthly talks at the New Moon Cafe, just kind of talking about the astrology of the month, month coming up. So um, you can... Our my, my emails on our emails are on our site, so you can always email us any questions you have about anything. Okay, great. Well, yeah. yeah, really nice to talk to you. Um, excited to do it again, and um, thanks very much. Yeah, yeah, thank you so much. This was so fun. Thank you for listening to Liminal Light and joining us to discuss who is mythological Zeus and who is planetary Jupiter and how or when do they overlap. More of this topic and everything else Jupiter throughout 2019. You can find me at ataviseral.com, A-T-A-V-I-S-C-E-R-A-L.com for more articles and forecasts and discussions of astrology, magic, myth, spirits, plants, and everything else, as well as to get in touch about chart readings and tarot, cardamancy, divination generally, and any other occult services. Talk to you all again soon.